it was the end of the bread and there was only one piece left. Oh, oh it was yeah. really really sad breakfast <laughs> the saddest <laughs> i've had in a while <laughs> you just just one slice of toast i had one slice of toast i'm not a big eater in the morning did you have anything on the toast butter and honey oh okay all right yeah almost like apples and honey but oh. not <laughs> <laughs> well we're gonna get to why we made that sound <laughs> actually let's just start the show why don't we so many so many so many damn books my name is christopher i'm drew and this is so many damn books the Welcome. podcast that celebrates reading and we have amy kurzweil in the damn library hello hi um, hi. welcome amy thanks amy for having me is a new yorker cartoonist as well as the author of flying couch a graphic memoir and you're also a teacher and mm-hmm. do many things around the city yeah 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 that's about it is that true i mostly just draw in in cafes or in my apartment alone <laughs> uh, are you are you someone who like draws people on the subway like do you do that i used to do that that's how i learned to draw Oh, I cool! Did, I didn't have a lot of art skills, and then I, uh, I had this job when I first moved to New York, where I was teaching in public schools. But I spent most of my time traveling on the subway, mm-hmm. and um, I used that time to draw. And I would draw people, but I cheated. I would take a picture of them <laughs> and then draw from the picture, oh. which is like really stupid. It kind of defeats the purpose of drawing from life, but <laughs> it's sort of lifelike. Yeah, but now I yeah exactly. Now I don't do that anymore. I just sit there and look at my phone like a normal person. Sure. <laughs> right. We are all drinking uh, a drink. We are. I'm going to tell Tell us about it. What's it it called? It's called the Escalator. Mm. Underscore. (laughs) (laughs) A subtitled um, Apples and Honey. (laughs) The Escalator. (laughs) Yeah, subtitled Apples and Honey. Coming this summer. Yeah, (laughs) which is actually, I guess, something that you um, eat more at Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, which is not now. Which isn't now, but I think... (laughs) (laughs) It's the other side of the year, but that's okay. That's all right. Um, It is the best Jewish holiday. Oh, yeah? Yeah. All right. (laughs) And Flying Couch is very inspired by your Jewish heritage. Yes, it is. And so I was looking at different things, and I didn't want to do anything with bitter herbs. (laughs) 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 Although I thought of going down that route and doing another savory drink, but... Yeah. No, we would have ended up with beet and dill, and uh, I'm not sure, no, no. and vodka. And like whitefish foam. (laughs) (laughs) Whitefish foam. Yeah. man. No, yes. This is the... So it's just apple brandy, lemon juice, and honey syrup. I put a little black walnut bitters in the honey syrup mm-hmm. as well um, and uh, mix that up. And I put a apple chip as the garnish. Mm. And so we will have an apple chip treat mm. <laughs> soaked in <laughs> yeah. soaked in apple brandy. And it tastes kind of like um, Drew's fiance said Jolly Rancher. Mm-hmm. And I think it tastes like, yeah, like an adult Jolly Rancher, but less um, less, less fake. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Less blatantly artificial. Yeah, I mean, it tastes like something you might drink if you're, I don't know, feeling sick or, I don't know. Oh, yeah. You want to just, like, ignite your, this could get be your good, energy back. A good hot toddy uh, oh, yeah. situation. Oh, yeah, this hot would be really hot. Yeah, could be really good hot. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about books we bought. Sure. 
Drew? I was inspired by reading the two uh, graphic memoirs that we read here, and I went out and I was just sort of looking for something else cool and, if not graphic memoir-y, like graphic novel-y, and um, I picked up Leslie Stein's Present. Oh, yeah. uh, Which just won the LA Times Book Award. Cool. Um, It turns out she's a bartender around the corner from my apartment. Oh, awesome. Um, Yeah, but I'm, I'm really excited to read it. I didn't realize that she was the cartoonist uh, for Vice. Oh. Yeah. yeah awesome. I really want to read that book. Yeah, I'm excited so. about it. Tell um, me how, how you enjoy it. Yeah. Amy, do you want to talk about something you bought? Well, recently, I just bought all of Mary Carr's books. Mm. Cool. Which I'm a little behind, but I bought the, the Liars Club and Lit and I haven't bought Cherry, but I will buy that. Mm-hmm. But I read her The Art of the Memoir. Mm. And um, yeah, so. And I, I read The Liars Club and I'm reading Lit now and it's pretty great. Um, yeah. But then I also bought another book and I had to look up the author, Mark O'Connell, To mm-hmm. Be a Machine, Adventures Among Cyborgs, Ooh. Utopians, Hackers, and the Future is Solving the Modest Problem of Death. Whoa. <laughs> wow. That's in preparation for my next book. So I haven't started it yet, but it just arrived. So. Oh, I w- I hope we get to talk about your next book. Yeah. Wait, before that, what'd you buy? Oh, yeah. okay. This is really silly because I'm in the middle of a deep dive on Elvis Presley. Uh-huh. I can't stop. Oh my God. My mom loves Elvis Presley. Oh, I, I am like your mom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buying records and books about, I just bought um, Griel Marcus's Dead Elvis. Oh yeah. Which is about I like. I taught a course with Griel. Not taught, but at the new school, I was mm-hmm. a TA for him. Nice. Yeah, he's. Yeah, he's an interesting guy, mm-hmm. and this is about like, like his cl- like what he means to us dead. Mm. Mm. And I also bought That's this so cool. sillier thing, um, the Elvis Treasures, uh, and compiled by this guy Robert Gordon, and it's sort of a like biography of his life, but it's got these little, like, definitely it's like basically an adult pop up book. Like you can pull out like the tickets to his first concert. Great. And it's, wow. and it's made like on the paper. Like it's got similar paper feels to like all of like the originals. <laughs> wow. And it's all printed out in the size too. So you can hold these like, you know, uh programs to special concerts and stuff that he was in. Oh so wow. It's really cool. I um I felt really silly like pulling out the CD. <laughs> like I'm so excited. I'm still I'm way too uh, uh, deeply down. That makes the... me want to write a pop-up book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, you yeah. should. But somehow I'm just thinking how expensive it is to create. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about your book, Flying couch yeah Yeah. would you um would you just tell Tell our listeners a little bit about it sure uh flying couch is a graphic memoir it's about three generations of women um it tells the story of my grandmother who is a holocaust survivor she was born in warsaw at 13 years old she left the ghetto and survived on her own she disguised herself as a catholic and it tells this story juxtaposed with stories from my life and um, figuring out um, who I am and leaving home for the first time um, and my difficulties with that transition. And I draw some connect some connections between my experience, uh, leaving home, finding a new home, and this traumatic story that I've inherited. Mm. 
Yeah, that's a yeah. That that's the book. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I I wanted to talk to you about um, the book is so. I mean, you really wear your influences on your sleeve. Yeah. Like to the point of like literally including the books yes. yeah. <laughs> that mm-hmm. you read in in the on the page. Yeah. So I just wondered what was that like an important like acknowledgement thing or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the things that I love about graphic memoirs is how much you can pack into a single image. Mm-hmm. And yeah. The something like um what books are in the room mm-hmm. i mean in a book sh- i mean this so this scene right now we're in the damn library and <laughs> there's a lot of information about us about you guys specifically mm-hmm. because of the books that are on the wall mm-hmm. and so i i saw that as a character development thing um as much as an influences thing um so there's a part in the middle of the book where i'm grappling with my identity and trying to figure out satirically what kind of jew i want to be and i try on all these different masks i love that sequence (laughs) yeah it's it's really good like a fun like a fun house thing with like cutting out um, it's like the circus carnival poster board that you stick yeah where you and then you get your picture yeah there's got to be a name for it name for it but i've never i don't know what it is is. the head cutout thing that cut out (laughs) thing yeah so the head cutout thing i'm trying on these different identities um metaphorically and i end up with the um i decide i want to be an expert educated jew as opposed to like a you know like rabid zionist or a culturally apathetic jew or something like that you poke fun at the fact that you you're choosing the one that's like the least <laughs> like it's the most like I'm going to sit in the room, my room by myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's the least social. Yeah. That's so true. I never thought of it that way, but it's so true. But anyway, um, I was positing myself as someone who is at least seeking knowledge, um, specifically knowledge about Jewish history and culture and, you know, what that identity means today. So, it felt like um, it was both true and also just for the sake of the character's consistency, um, something that I wanted to continue throughout the book by just peppering the rest of the book with all these book books that are on the floor mm-hmm. um, or on the or you know in the walls or um, what I, have you. I mean, it really feels like we were talking about it as like a marriage of like Craig Thompson and Alison Bechdel. Mm. Like between those two, you kind of get your style. Although I feel like you completely eschewed. Um, panels like yeah. there's no panel at yeah. all in this. it's like really kind of it's psychedelic in a lot of ways yeah i mean i'm the the moment that it i like tabbed a couple of pages that i just wanted to be able to go back to very quickly and the sequence where you um you go on birthright yeah and it just all of the text basically goes away and it's just this like swirl of mm-hmm. imagery that sort of feels it feels like a montage but also it feels more it's more interesting than like a filmic montage. There's something about it where as you're reading it, viewing it, I got a sense, I think of what it felt like in your head to like, yeah, what, how you remember right. that trip in the space of like five pages. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's what graphic memoir does, which is why I love it. But yeah. I like how, I like how you said, this is how you experienced it in your head. Cause that's, I think that's what, at least my style of comics, I think other styles are different, but my style of comics is about trying to relay memory and perception. And I think that it's, I think it's nice that people look at the book and they, they get that right away. They don't think that I'm trying to represent reality mm-hmm. as some objective thing. They get that I'm kind of like putting the reader into my memories. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you're very, um, 
deft with place too. Like the book opens and there's sort of the blueprint of mm-hmm. a house. And later there's a New York City subway map. Mm-hmm. But instead of it, like I look at the map and I'm like, I know all of these places. But then you've yeah. added in your arrows. And as I was looking at it, I started doing that with For my yourself. map too. Right. And it's also interesting that like sometimes you leave you leave that grade out like in the background like this actually very um (laughs) like intricate thing like it's like only on the background of what what it is like i i was curious about that was that about um because they seem like a lot of work to kind of then put work into the background (laughs) and then you gray it out yeah that's always fun in photoshop (laughs) you're like i just spent a week on this all right (laughs) let's make it less noticeable (laughs) yeah why do that what's well i mean that's that's a good question i think um i i wanted those maps to be something that is like a like a backdrop Mm -hmm. i mean it's sort of the equivalent of writing the background of your character and then cutting that scene you know i mean Mm -hmm. there's the imprint of that work that you've done in your story um but you have to kind of let it let some of that go and so making these maps was my way of it was almost like a more important exercise for me potentially than super, super important for the story. But I think it's important for the story because it gives you that density of experience where you're looking at my character and I'm in my childhood bedroom and you can get what I'm doing. I'm sitting there drawing. It's not that complicated a scene, but you get a sense just from the grayed out map in the background that you can study if you choose. You get a sense very quickly of the depth of my experience in that place that mm. I've lived there for my whole life. And, um, that is a place I'm attached to that has lots of memories. Yeah. And and yeah, it's, it's interesting how um, you don't have to actually read the map to get that feeling. Uh-huh. And I ca- you kind of know that as the artist. So then even though it feels painful, you have to gray it out because you don't want to <laughs> distract from what's really happening in the present moment, which right. is what needs to be in that darker ink. Oh, right. Right. seems like you're always searching for um the humor to element like and maybe that's just because i also know you as a new yorker cartoonist yeah but um especially when you get to the moments of like uh like the board games of your your (laughs) life that feels very like cart like yeah much like those are that's like some of the most real stuff and it's like you know like a, (laughs) a bad roommate and like um, like breaking up with people and like all that heartache yeah and it's in like shoots and ladders <laughs> i played it <laughs> like just by myself i stopped and i was like okay what if i go five ahead okay cool and then i like i you hit like the dance. bad relationship breakup and i was like oh i'm all the way back down no <laughs> yeah i love that you played it that's my dream that people <laughs> actually play yeah do you play a lot of board games it seems like rummy cub was also mentioned yeah mm-hmm. rummy cube a, i play a, a lot of board games with my that's a really cool connection because i actually wasn't even thinking about that i do play a lot of board games with my grandmother mostly rummy oh. cube and then we played cards growing up i love games i i wish i would play games all the time but i just can't find people who do you guys want to play <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. okay i'll schedule a game night um, <laughs> yeah i do like games i mean i like the constraints of games and i like the i like the way that they tell a story and i, I like thinking about how a, what the board game is might say something about that period of my life and what i was trying to do mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so with shoots and ladders um, that comes towards the end of the book when I'm living in New York and it's this very concise summary of many years of my life living in New York. And uh, 
it's one of those things where you can look at the page and you can get sort of the point and the feeling of what I'm trying to say very quickly. Mm-hmm. But then you can also spend a lot of time with it and get that feeling. So um, I wanted to invite the reader to do that, but not necessarily make it required that they had to do that. And right. in this case, the shoots and ladders feels like a metaphor for just the uh, some kind of like millennial existentialism that (laughs) you feel that you're trying to get to some purpose in your life but um it's a lot of ups and downs that just don't feel in my case as meaningful as these dramatic narrative arcs of the past Mm. right and and all this is going up against like this very real heartbreaking story of your grandmother's um Mm -hmm. passage and i guess like you needed that levity to be able to tell the story yeah i think i needed it I mean, it's a, it's kind of a rare thing, I guess, stories about the Holocaust that have humor. Mm-hmm. They do exist. I mean, the, obviously, the most famous example is Mouse, right. which is probably my biggest influence. Maybe not formally, but at least content-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a rare thing, and it's hard for me to engage with literature or movies about the Holocaust that don't have it. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. interesting that it's so rare. And I guess maybe especially if people don't feel close to these stories, it can feel really sacrilegious to introduce humor. Mm -hmm. And it might be hard to know where the humor would come from. But in my experience, humor is just so germane to my family's experience that it just never, it never even crossed my mind that it might be an insensitive thing to include. Well, I mean, when you've got your grandmother like shouting about how she survived (laughs) Hitler, like, please bring my food faster. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's like, that would uh, change your experience of the Holocaust. yeah it does it changes your experience and it and it's connected it's it's like the humor is connected to what happened my mm, grandmother right. wouldn't be the way she is if it weren't for what she experienced um and what's i don't know i mean i have a lot of different theories of humor but one of them has to do with just like absurdity and con the conflict of things that just don't fit together being thrown together and the incongruity of elements and i think with my grandmother's experience she's has this absurd life coming from such the most horrible thing that you can imagine to then um pretty great you know experiences and um you know a great family and lots of joy and so that's i don't know it's funny i guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah now that the book is out Mm -hmm. And you've had a while with it. Mm-hmm. Do you, f- and it's just so personal. I'm just curious of like <laughs> looking back at it. Do you feel like it's still like said all you need to say about mm-hmm. these stories? Or do you yeah. feel like it's incomplete and you wish you had more, more to time with it to add just like a couple more things? That's a good question. I don't, I don't feel like, I mean, I, I spent eight years on this book, so mm-hmm. I was pretty ready to let yeah. it go. <laughs> And but it does feel I think people say this about their books no matter what genre they are it does feel like a it feels like it was made by me years ago mm-hmm. which doesn't mean that it feels incomplete it it feels like it's complete but it also feels like that a period of my life is complete mm-hmm. um, so that's a nice feeling I mean I've still written things on um, on these themes mm-hmm. and probably will continue but they feel like they're coming from a different place. And so it's, it doesn't feel like the things I have to say are formally connected to the story. So it really does feel like I've kind of done it. Right. It's done. There are those offshoots. I mean, you have the, the like an a, a nice animation mm-hmm. of your grandmother yeah. that like 
that you did. Yeah. That was yeah, really cool these, in the style. I have two animations and one is really fun because she's my grandmother loves to sing. So she's singing a, a Yiddish song. She calls it a Jewish. She says, should I sing in Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> As if Jewish is a language, which I love. Um, but yeah, so I animated that um, that song. Mm-hmm. And I've written a few other essays that are feature my grandmother or connected to these themes. Um, but I think what's nice about memoir is that I think people understand that you're a, you're a person, you know, mm-hmm. like you're still living and um, nothing's ever over. So you're just summarizing a, a period of your life when you end a book, mm. you know. To pivot a little bit from your work with memoir, uh, your work as a New Yorker cartoonist, mm-hmm. would you just tell us about like that? <laughs> it is such a, you say New Yorker cartoon and people are like, I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, right. I know. Did you like a? How did you come to it? But then B, how how do you craft? You go from this very dense memoir mm-hmm. to like a single panel and a single line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes not even a line. Yeah, yeah. That's a good question. I mean, I started as a writer, so it's incredibly amazing to me that I am now a cartoonist. Um, but I think there's probably a, you know, I took a journey two cartoons through graphic memoir, uh, which makes sense if you start as a writer. A lot of cartoonists or graphic memoirs start as illustrators and might, you know, go the other way. Um, and Art Spiegelman, I read an interview with him uh, where he said, oh, these kids today, they just want to write graphic novels and they don't start with shorter things. And of course, that's exactly what I was doing, starting <laughs> with a really long project and I felt sort of shame. Um, but I think it worked out fine. I mean, I... After I wrote this long project, basically, I just wanted to do something short. Mm-hmm. I just wanted the feeling of finishing <laughs> something after eight years of not finishing something. That was really hard. That yeah. was a really hard thing. So I just wanted to finish something. And it was my boyfriend who had the idea that I should be a New Yorker cartoonist. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Um, but then I, m- I met Liana Fink, who's a New Yorker cartoonist who's wonderful. And she's also a graphic memoirist. And... Um, I, I read her her book, um, A Bintel Brief, and then I started seeing her cartoons in The New Yorker, and I just thought that was amazing. And I think once you have a model for something, you're like, I can do that too, you know? She writes right. books and she does cartoons. So uh, she told me about these meetings that happen at The New Yorker office, and at that point they were with Bob Mankoff, who was the cartoon editor, who's, who um, they changed the guard about a year ago. Now the, now the editor is Emma Allen, who's a young woman. And they're both... Um, really incredible they're both very different and both of them are charitable enough to sit down with you no matter who you are you can just come into the office and you can show them your work and they both had different approaches Bob's approach was to kind of insult you (laughs) and then uh, so he told me my cartoons I brought in this batch I decided you know I'm gonna I'm gonna try this so I over the summer I did 90 cartoons and then I cut them down to 10 and I brought in my 10 and sat down with him and he was like you're not terrible that's that's oh, what he right. said. Okay. So that was really encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> and I just I don't know, I just decided I wanted to keep doing it, so I just kept doing it and kept going back in and getting feedback. Cool. And um yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a really nice community. Mhm. That's partly what I like about it. And it's a cool process. I mean, I think that if you ever sat down, if you ever decided you wanted to try cartooning, you might be surprised that you have more ideas than you think you would. Mm. Every little random thought that you have 
just start to think of it as how what like how could this be a line of dialogue or how could this be a scene Mm -hmm. and then you just start to refine those feelings of there's something weird about this there's something absurd about this there's something funny about this and once you start doing it it's like a valve in your mind that you open and and you start to have more ideas and it comes more quickly Mm. cool wow so you guys should try it yeah (laughs) So um, how do, do you like send in 10 and they like choose a couple or? Well, you send in 10. Um, you can email them. You can bring them into the office and show them to the editor. Um, and usually they choose none of them. <laughs> and then you just keep doing it. And eventually uh, you might get an email that says O period K period with a picture of the cartoon. Oh, wow. And then you celebrate and go buy people drinks because you just made a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good day yeah it's great when that happens when you get the okay yeah, yeah i like i like wow. that yeah the okay it's very simple wow that <laughs> very sounds, clear that's awesome yeah <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about the book that you're writing now like what's coming sure. up next yeah because i'm curious about it yeah well the next book that i'm working on is called artificial and it's a memoir family memoir again very different in tone and content, although some of the history circles the same time periods. Um, So this is looking at my father's side of the family and his father, who I never knew. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, there's three generations, but in this case there's this gap because I don't actually know my grandfather. He died pretty young um, and he was not a Holocaust survivor, but he was uprooted by the Holocaust. Um, And he came from Vienna. He was a musician, classical pianist and composer and conductor and his life was saved by this woman um because she'd heard him play this american woman had come to vienna and heard him play and she said um you're you know you're you're so talented Uh, you know your your music is so moving to me um if you ever need anything let me know and so then that was 1937 so then a year later he needed something so he called no, he didn't call her. He wrote her a letter. <laughs> Technology was different back then. He wrote her a letter and she um, sponsored him to come to America. Wow. So that's his his narrative. Um, then he died pretty young of heart disease. Um, and my father was born in Queens. My father has become a well-known um, inventor, somebody who writes about the future, mm-hmm. writes about technology in the future. And he's got this idea that he wants to create this avatar of his father's memory and he's been saving all these documents about his father in the storage unit which i visited and had some eerie experiences in um Mm. he's been saving his music every letter he wrote because for some reason my grandfather saved almost every letter he wrote um he's been saving news clippings about him and all with this idea that he wants to bring back this person whatever that means so the book is exploring that project and whatever else sort of comes up as I explore that project and explore these relationships. Wow. Cool. That sounds really awesome. Yeah. Sounds like a really interesting process for you. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely, it's definitely a process and it's similar. I mean, I don't know if every memoirist feels this way, but I definitely feel like I, uh, the writing of the book is always a part of the story in Mm -hmm. some way, you know? Um, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm hopeful that the book's goal will be to, illuminate something about how we are going to relate to the past in the future cool yeah
Speaking of relating to the past. Yeah. And also memoirs about fathers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you brought us a really cool one, Arab of the Future by, uh, how do you say his name? Riyad Satouf. Riyad Satouf. Um, Subtitled, A Childhood in the Middle East, 1978 to 1984. Yes. Right. Which, a graphic memoir. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about why you brought, why you recommended yeah. this one. Um, I love this book. This was the second time that I got to read it. I think, um, I mean, I love almost every graphic memoir I read, but some are special to me, and this is one of the special ones. I think what I like so much about this book is the way that uh, caricature is used without creating a flat story. Uh-huh. So there are there are caricatures in this book. There's something I would call close to caricatures, um, for the sake of humor. And there are characters in this book who at times can seem to be sort of extreme, absurd versions of something. Um, right. Like the dad has a huge, like, no, yeah, like, yeah. It's very caricature, like physically, definitely mm-hmm. a lot of the, a lot of the characters have huge noses, um, which I personally love, uh, but also caricature in terms of the way that they're behaving. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes they're so they're the violence that characters do to each other or the obliviousness of the characters or the passivity in the case of the mother mm-hmm. at times can be so can feel so over the top. And I think the way it's drawn emphasizes that. And yet this book is so complex and the characters feel very real to me. I think it's back to that point about perception and memory. Mm-hmm. But this is all being filtered through the memory of somebody who at this point is five years old. Right. And uh, you, you, there's this fun experience of, reading what you're reading and then imagining what really happened and learning so much about Riyadh and feeling so close to him because you are getting this experience of seeing his perceptions, which often have this extreme quality. Right. And there's all the, I mean like a perfect example is just like his reactions to like the switching of the presidents in Egypt. Like when he's (laughs) like, that guy's not as attractive as the last one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like he just, uh, that's his only, like, I didn't like, I don't like that guy because he doesn't like look as heroic as our last president did. He's, Um, yeah, I think that's when he goes from Libya to Syria. Oh yeah. And he's like, he's like, yeah, um, Gaddafi was really handsome and I liked him better than like the Syrian president. Yeah. There, there is no real, it's not like a beginning, middle and end plot. It is truly, his his memoirs of growing up and it's it's really focused on his father mm-hmm. mostly because his father is such a loud dominating yeah like at times heroic at time like very problematic character right like a quixotic heroic yeah <laughs> i just love this idea that like they come back to sort of a war-torn middle east and he's like i have all this land i'm going to build this huge thing and you look and you see the like that sort of hero worship of like a four year old looking up at his dad and being like, yeah, okay, totally. But then also refracted through like the inevitable, he's now a grown up and looks back at this and is like, what the fuck? Well, I mean, it really is reminiscent of the glass castle by Jeanette walls. Mm. I was thinking that about that book a lot while I was reading this, because in the similar way, like the glass castle is her dad's, you know, um, private compound like that his, he's experienced with his death mm. where it's just like he's always talking about it and drawing up plans and it'll yeah. never actually ever happen yeah and it's definitely as you said all being told you get that added complexity of knowing that it's all being told through the eyes of an adult narrator 
who has different judgments about his father than the child. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's yeah. so interesting to be reading this right after um, reconsidering your work. Yeah, because I think that's probably true. It, you're, like I was saying before, your your style is so psychedelic and like will never use his panels at all. Mm-hmm. And this, it's very rigid. It's, yeah. it's like confident almost. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that it has to do with the tradition that he's tapping into. Mm-hmm. Um, this French comics tradition, which is m- people use panels. But there are French, you know, there are French writers who are French comic artists who don't do that. I, I found that it's interesting that a lot of women in my generation are breaking out of panels more. I don't know what, what that's about, but... Hmm. It seems like graphic memoirs by women. It might have something to do with the, that a lot of us grew up keeping diaries and, sure. and writing alongside our drawings and that being sort of an organic, natural oh. thing. And that, like for me, my graphic memoir impulse does, even though that's probably an embarrassing thing to admit, but hmm. it's a true thing that it comes out of my impulse to diary and to make sketches. And, and so that is sort of influencing my style. But I think that... Um, the tradition you know if you want to be like a serious comic artist tapping into history then you use panels and that's something that Riyadh Satouf has always done Mm. yeah Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting to me because this is like how we're meeting him and it's so personal but this is his like 16th 17th book yeah but it reads like I'm experiencing it as though it's like a debut because it's his first that he's it's ever been translated into English that's Mm -hmm. true yeah so it's interesting to be reading this like there's some people who would be reading this and they have his entire body of work that they're now like seeing in a new stark relief right because they have like an actual and I we're just meeting him completely like this which is interesting yeah this is how the English speaking world is being introduced to him yeah right at at the beginning of the beginning yeah Uh, he's four years old and has beautiful blonde hair Mm -hmm. yeah but that confidence does come through in his in his the consistency of his style I love the color wash. Um, yeah, each section is is washed in a certain color, to sort of like, and some of it is like because yeah, I can't remember where it is, but it's all yellow. Like, and he he's like remarking upon that. It codes for where he is in the world. So like the blue sections are in France, um, so the pink sections are in Syria. Yeah. And sometimes he shows like a very important object or something that holds like some sort of mythical. Like yeah, childhood connection for him he'll give that a spot of color that's true yeah the things that are important get to be like red or green mm-hmm. i like that a lot i think it's really cool i mean it actually made me wonder like do you want yeah. more color <laughs> like do you wish you had the, the this freedom of color i think color has to be significant mm-hmm. and um i don't know maybe one maybe one day <laughs> <laughs> i just i love i love black and white and gray he doesn't have gray so the gray wash is is playing the the color is playing the role of gray wash in right. my work. Um, I think it you know the color works so well because of the way that it delineates country, and it's it just you just get such a different feeling when you're in France and everything's blue and it mm-hmm. makes it feel like the sort of I mean something I love about this book is this um, you start off in more or less you start off in Egypt Mm -hmm. and you, and it's yellow and yellow has this feeling of like, you know, maybe like being hot or some arid or something like that. Um, and everything in Egypt is like, or no, sorry, you start off in Libya. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, everything in Libya is like 
Or maybe you start off in France. Anyway, you can edit that part. You start off in France, then you go to Libya, and everything's just like everything's crazy like people can't have their own homes you like Mm -hmm. you have to like find a house that's unlocked and go live there to have somebody and somebody come if somebody can just come and take your home at any time and this just seems totally crazy and you get this vision of life in the middle east that is um very uh there's like squalor and things feel stressful but then when he goes to france it's just as weird and Mm -hmm. i just was like i found that so amazing that this the strangeness and the sort of alienation that this child feels no matter where he is in the world even in france where like people have their own homes like there's still crazy old ladies trying to lure him into yeah. their homes yeah. with, co- <laughs> with cookies yeah, like, yeah. and well, then that blue in france is like it's like calm it's though, like calm or it's cold or something like that yeah it feels more like his mom is calmer in france in in some way that's true but it's it's interesting too in the way that um you know, there's an acceptance of children, even though it's like surreal. There's also like, yeah, like this is where we live. Like it's like mm-hmm. I feel like it's only afterwards when he's got his more voice of like looking back at it that he's like, we lived in this weird fluorescent hallway. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't yeah. really understand how that happened, but he yeah. accepts it all or he he casts it in the same light. Yeah, it's all got that same because of weirdness acceptance of child like uh, like life is weird like i don't know yeah. i don't have a normal like this is all pretty crazy that's right yeah everything and especially when you're moving around and you're moving from east to west and back again mm-hmm. everything is just a trauma you know everything is just like or like psychedelic i think that this book feels psychedelic to me even though the form doesn't mirror right. that yeah it's um it's also like he does this trick a few times of a dual like a didactic thing going on in the top of the panel of like something that's explaining what the situation was. In yeah. The, the history, which is really the politics in the middle East are really complicated. So. And then pulled down is like what his dad is yelling at the television or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then occasionally there's even the third, like little Ron Howard narration thing where there's like a little arrow where yes. it's, it's like, that is even more, him in the present being like i just need to add a little bit of i had like a perfect example of this it's when they get to libya and he's talking in the narration about how his father is obsessed with pan-arabism and like wants arab people to educate themselves arab men let's be real uh to educate themselves and to like escape religious dogma and build their countries for themselves um so that's what's going on in the narrative. And then we have the father in the airport saying, look at this airport. It's built by Arabs. And he's got that like that um, gesture of just like, this is amazing. And then we have the little label that's <laughs> labeling the cigarette butts on the floor in the airport. And it's like such a perfect example of graphic memoir or graphic novels being so complicated and how they can layer text. Mm-hmm. And all these different things can be happening at once. Like these like sort of, lofty dreams of pan-arabis and then the blind faith and ignorance of the father in this vision and then the judgment of like this isn't working like things are dirty here um, and the dirtiness just gets worse and it's like amazing that all that stuff can be there contradicting itself and it's not resolved it's just there well i mean there's that there's the amazing thing that you were talking about this story point before of like when they show up um and they're just choosing their house mm-hmm. and it's actually sort of utopian in, in, in a way they like totally. take a walk in and there's your house and 
it's all yours if you want it. And then they go on this beautiful walk. Yeah. And they're really, and he's so excited about being back in this and area. And they're enjoying the, and then they come the back toots, and there's the fruits from the trees. There's yeah. an, yeah, it's mulberries or whatever. Yeah. Well, the toots is what he yeah. calls yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> and then they come back and literally there's another family living yes. in that space because the doors unlock like right they, they and their stuff is just out in front of the, <laughs> yeah. and it's just like oh this isn't utopian at all it's like right terrifying I, and unstable i think that's like almost the arc of the the book in a way mm-hmm. i mean and i also think i noticed that the father became less and less heroic and mm-hmm. more and more violent yeah he started as like he had this bumbling cruelty, but it became more and more sinister. I felt it's like at the end of the book, yeah, he definitely. seems to be saying things that are just like really scary. Like he wants to kill everyone, and it's sort of a joke, but it, it just it like it devolves. And I think that that seems to parallel some of the political stuff going on. That there are these dreams of pan Arabism and like dreams of making these countries really work well and be utopian, and and they don't pan out i mean i was thinking about this during the very difficult dog scene mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. no yeah. yeah which is just it's so hard but you also it's drawn in the style that like the dog is so cute and yeah. it's like it's not violent. It is violent. But it's not violent. It, it's like something out of a very, Sunday cartoon. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. a little cartoon, but it's like, oh no, this really happened. Yeah. And it's just like a you cartoon have- violence scene. I don't know. It's and and in the same way, like you you can you can maybe can um I guess comprehend or consider these utopian ideals mm-hmm. like against the like bitter reality of it mm-hmm. more because like it's mm-hmm. sort of I don't know, softened or served to you on this platter yeah. of like sort of kind comic. Right. That's, that's definitely something that, I mean, Persepolis has a similar approach. Yes. It's mm-hmm. a little different. Um, Stylistically, though, but there's some similar. similarities. Yeah. yeah. Um, just this idea that the violence is not going to happen on the page, but instead right. it's going to happen in your mind. You know, that's something that comics play with a lot. And uh, Scott McCloud who wrote Understanding Comics. Have you guys read Understanding mm-hmm. Comics? Yeah. He talks about closure. The idea that like when something's not on the page, but it's suggested, it happens in the reader's mind and that can actually be more powerful. Yeah. And I think that's happening with the, with the dog scene. There's like this double consciousness that you have where it's like you have another story happening in your mind as you're looking at the cartoon story of the real thing that happened, which is really upsetting. And that is also the moment that, I think the mother sort of, can we talk about the mother? Yeah. yeah. I'm curious what you guys thought about her, so the way she was depicted and what ended up becoming of, of her. And if she, if you felt like she had agency or. Well, um, a few times, more than once, I kept thinking that she was leaving him. Like, you know, <laughs> like she, she comes into the room and says like, we're going to Paris or something. And I'm like, Oh, is this like, like bolting in the night? Like it's yeah. the end absolutely pulled the rug out for me. Where yeah. she was like, we're going to Paris, like we're leaving first thing in the morning. And I was like, um, yeah. And then it seemed out of character. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm curious to keep looking at the mother and see what becomes of her, because I do think yeah. that she's a caricature of passivity. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that that that's tracking something real with this character. Well, but I'm wondering if if we'll get to see as much complication from her as I think I come to see 
with the father well the father is undercutting her a lot more near the end too like there's more of like you think this like you you know a lot of his most racist stuff is aimed at like what the mother like accepted and thought was oh that's really interesting university that feels almost like insightful to um things that i notice when i when i notice people being like racist or misogynist as a way to offend the sensibilities of somebody Mm -hmm. who is like more liberal and more PC. And it feels like that dynamic is going on with the father and the mother where Mm -hmm. he sort of says racist things as a way to rile her up because she's French and she's from the West and she's got these ideals where she's like, don't talk bad about Jews. Like don't talk about black people that way. And he's like, ha ha, I'm going to. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I think that that dynamic happens a lot in a lot of different places. And I thought it was really interesting to watch. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And it's the sort of thing where if you, you know, where he can turn around and say, well, I was just joking. Right. Yeah. It's the, I was just joking thing. It's just like, if you had to explain that, then. Yeah. Well, it's really exciting too. In the other way that these aren't done, the, these aren't done deals. Like these are, these are things we're going to continue exploring because this is the first volume of, you know, it's 1978 to 1984, and it seems like it's the story mm-hmm. of his life. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like, there seems like there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen, and, like, this, all of these things are going to be, like, I don't know, like, dealt with more with yeah. more complications and yeah, complexities so. because he's getting older, and he will have an actual viewpoint and not just be taking it in as a child. Yeah. Right. The second one is out. Yeah. It's been out for a while. I saw Riyadh Satouf speak before I knew who he was, which is... I don't know. I wish I could go back to the memory <laughs> now and relive it now that I've read this book. But I went to an event with him and Phoebe Glockner. Mm. And I love Phoebe Glockner and I was there to see her. But everyone was there to see Riyadh Satouf. Not that Phoebe Glockner isn't amazing, but Riyadh Satouf is a little more famous. Right. So all these people, especially these French people, were there to see him. And they were just like mobbing him and loved him. I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> and now I just want to go back and um, remember what he said. Yeah. yeah, I I'm I head over heels. I'm so glad you brought this to yeah. us. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited it. to like go get volume two, but then to just trigger finger pre-order on yeah. volumes three, and I'm guessing like four or five. Yeah, six twenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why don't we uh Why don't we talk about other books we recommend? Sure. Do you want to do that? We can. I need a second to think. You can start, Christopher. I'll start us off. I will. Um, I'm recommending... Okay, so I've been listening to... I I suddenly had the um, desire to revisit something I really enjoyed when I was a teenager uh, or a young preteen into teenagerhood. uh, The So You Want to Be a Wizard series Mm -hmm. by Diane Duane. And I was remembering them because they're sort of like a weird also-ran to Harry Potter. It was like something that you read like in between book four and five, <laughs> like just in that weird like time where you were just like, I don't know. I was feverishly yeah, wanting you're jonesing. something. <laughs> and so, so you want to be a wizard. I mean, like it has some similar ideas of like a book that, and you have to take a wizard's oath and you're fighting a great evil. But it was the third one that is something that's always stuck in my head. Oh, higher wizardry. And it's because it deals with 
um, the main character in the first two books, her younger sister turns out to have even more power mm-hmm. and m- more um, agency than her sister does. And she's called to this planet and it's the most psychedelic, like, <laughs> insane sci-fi novel where she starts a new race of computer beings on a silicone chip planet <laughs> in an exosystem. And it's really funny how dated it is in the way that like it's all the coding is done on an Apple three <laughs> C or something. And like, that's what her wizards meant. Like it's also the first wizards manual. That's not a book. Uh-huh. Like it's, it's a Apple computer. <laughs> um, and you know, she, it, you know, it, there's a point in the, where they do like the specs list that she's so excited about. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. Four <laughs> gigs of Ram. Well, there's a, there's a point where she, it's a laptop um, and, or it can be. And she like makes her wizards version of it. And she's using it and she's like, oh my God, like, where do the batteries go? Like, <laughs> and like, did, how can something run without any batteries? <laughs> um, it's a, just a really interest, like, interesting um, cultural artifact. But it's just also this, like, it's sort of crazy that this is a book for, you know, it's pitched as a book for kids, book for teenagers. Right. <laughs> and it's got this crazy, like, it really is about, like, hacking and coding and using like early computers to create a new race of beings in wow. space <laughs> it's like it's crazy and then they fight their like big bad which is entropy like Whoa. <laughs> it's just the slow Dig death it. of the universe is all that wizardry wizards wow. are trying to stop that sounds like the ultimate fight yeah <laughs> if we can all unite around something it's, it's just entropy. Uh-huh. it's fight against entropy yeah, yeah it's and i um, I I got I did the audiobook. Christine Moore reads it. She read the um, the Spellman series to me. Oh, cool. Um, and I love her as mm. a voice in my ears. She's got a really cool voice for a young kid. Um, mm. sort of Sarah Vowell esque in a little bit in a mm. way. And I don't know. It's one of these very few books that you return to that you read as a kid that is way better now. Cool. Uh, mm. That I now like. I like it on even deeper level than I thought I would. Circa when? Uh, they came out in 1998. Oh, I think nice. was the first one came out. Okay. Or 19, yeah, 97, 98, I think. Cool. I yeah. want to piggyback on the 90s thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess the thing that's just circling in my mind is this comic series called Life in Hell. Did you guys read that? The Mike, Matt Groening. Matt Groening, yeah. yeah. And um, I just recently refound my favorite one called... Okay, well, let me back up. Ma- uh, Life in Hell is a, is a very simple comic series about disgruntled bunnies. Um, Binky is the main bunny. And then there's also um, a, a younger bunny named Bongo. And there's a, there's a book called Childhood in Hell, which is one of the ones that I had uh, growing up. So there are these different books. Childhood in Hell, Love in Hell, et cetera, et cetera. It's, there are other characters, but it's mostly the bunnies. And Bongo only has one ear, which is very tragic for him. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I recently refound this one panel uh, or one page that's uh, how to be a sensitive poet, mm. and it's like uh, Binky goes through a sensitive poet phase, and um, I realized that you know as a kid I always wanted to be a poet or a writer or something like that, and I think reading these books made me want to be a cartoonist instead of something that maybe has a little bit more of a pretentious air because these books were always sort of poking fun at artistic 
pretension mm-hmm. um, and poking fun at the artist's life. And I just like, I don't know, I refound that sensitive poet page and was like, took a trip down memory lane and was very nostalgic for that sort of like consciousness that I got as a young person reading these comics and thinking like, oh, you can make fun of people. Like, that's a thing you can do. And it's mm. really, it's really fun, <laughs> but, but it's not mean, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, Life in Hell. And there's just many different books and they aren't like, they aren't, it's in like a story. It's just this world and these characters and these different pages where you learn something about them. Um, and then sometimes it's the author just uh, compiling within this world some sort of worksheet that might speak to artistic angst or some sort of list. It was like the original listicles, this mm, comic. Awesome. Like I'll have like the 12 types of girlfriends or the 12 types of boyfriends. Probably if I looked at some of this now, it wouldn't resonate with me at all. But, <laughs> you know, these like compiled characters that he and lists that um, were supposed to reveal something about life, in, usually in the, ni- in the 90s, I think mm-hmm. is when it was most popular. Wow. Do you want to talk about your um, recommendation? Sure. I have two. Uh, one is something that I've previously recommended on the show, but as I was reading, <laughs> as I was reading Flying Couch, I just thought about it again. Okay. Um, it's not just Spiegelman's memoir. I'm supposed to protect you from all this. Oh yeah. Uh, which is just it's another look at three generations of women in yeah. a family, and it, as I, I just like the two books felt like kindred spirits in yeah. a way that I just I kept pinging back to it, mm-hmm. and I love it when a book makes me ping back to something that I previously loved, and I just feel like the web in my mind like gets larger in cool ways. It's so cool because her father's such a big influence on me and then yeah. she wrote this book about her mother and her grandmother and that's what I did. So yeah, I met her once and she just seemed like one of the most lovely people and nice. I, I can't wait to read her book. What's your other one? The other one is a record that just came out. It's the new Arctic Monkeys record mm. called Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. Mm. Okay. It is, if you imagine, uh, David Bowie, Nick Cave, and J.G. Ballard, like, having drinks at a seedy hotel bar on the moon. Okay. Filmed by Wes Anderson's evil twin. Mm. That's this record. You it is Quentin like... Tarantino? Oh, yeah, kind of, now that I think about it. It is, like, <laughs> it is this strange concept record about this, like, sort of failing hotel and casino mm. on the moon... And it's such a hard left turn from like the rock that Arctic Monkeys are known for. Hmm. But I am obsessed. Mm. Alex Turner turns his like awesome lyrical sensibilities towards crafting this weird loose world. Mm. And I have not stopped listening to it in cool. a way that I can't remember the last record that I was like, ah, I just need to keep listening to this over and over and over again. Mm. Wow. Are there music videos associated with this or not? No, they didn't even release a single. Huh. Nothing. They did nothing in advance. They played a show like last Wednesday at Brooklyn Steel mm. where they debuted like four of the songs, whatever, three days before the record came wow. out. Yeah. Weird. Which like, when does that happen too? You yeah. know? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Well. Amy. Thanks yeah. for joining us. Thanks for us. coming. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We so really fun. appreciate you joining us for the show. And we really appreciate all you listeners. Um, Especially when you give us reviews. On iTunes, we really like those. 
We really appreciate those. We're so close to 100 reviews on iTunes. Whoa, that's a lot. It'd be a big day. It'd be re- oh, it's, do you guys yeah. read your all your reviews? We yes. do. Christopher <laughs> usually <laughs> screenshots them and sends them to me at strange hours. <laughs> yeah, because that's when I'm checking. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's keeping you up at night, quite literally. <laughs> when I am on a Wednesday. Just like, <laughs> now I need to see what people think of the thing I make. <laughs> um, and uh, so we like when you do that. We really like when you go on patreon.com slash smdb and uh, pledge some money to us, contribute to the show. We have a, we're about to do, I'm going to tell them. Is that all right? We're about to do totes. Yeah. We're going to do totes for the people. And it's so going to say cool. something really silly on them. Really silly. Uh, so if you want a really silly so many damn books tote, it'll say so many damn books somewhere too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is it going to have like pop? out features to the oh, oh my to god the a pop-up tote a pop-up tote <laughs> yes okay good. it's, it's gonna, got like on the inside it's got Elvis, like fake books you? so you can look like you have a bunch of books oh yeah. that's good yeah yeah it's, it's fake books. we don't want to we don't want you to actually read it. <laughs> yeah we want you just listening and espousing what we say about <laughs> it's a complete gag tote which really does feel it's actually just has like a false bottom <laughs> <laughs> it just, uh, doesn't even work yeah it's not a tote so much as it is two pieces of cloth <laughs> it's, it's a tote with yeah, yeah. quotes around it all right but seriously oh boy. go pledge ten dollars a month and uh, you will be signed up to get that tote when we start sending those out um, in the next quarterly send-off thing. And listen, whether or not you do that, just share the thing. Talk yeah. about the thing. We really appreciate when people talk We love it when show. you do that. Yeah. We like talking to you. And also go buy Flying Couch um, by Amy yeah. Kurzweil because it it's an awesome yeah. graphic memoir. Okay, that's it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Maybe it was a little too edgy or something. <laughs> I think, yeah, like... Said hell and Tipper Gore was not... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <Yeah. laughs> I wanted to make a comment there, but I've got nothing. Yeah. She defeats all comments. Yeah. <laughs>